Good morning. I have to admit, I came here early this morning and I was listening to him uh, practice this morning. And uh, I was just over in the corner listening and praising. And I had my own little worship service this morning. And, and, I, and I try not to do this. I'm not that emotional. But I, I literally had tears coming to my eyes just singing. That, that, so I, I prayed I got out of my system. But then this morning when we were over here singing and, and it just, my tears were just were swelling up when we were talking about the blood of Jesus. What a great way to start off a worship service. Melanie does a fantastic job. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us. Um, I want you to think about, has there been a time, a moment in your life that everything just stopped? That everything just stood still? I call these defining moments, knowing that after that particular moment, that life would never be the same. Never again would it be the same. It also means there's an opportunity for growth just around the corner. You'll never go back. You'll never be the same. You'll always be different. Can you think of one? Let me give you a couple examples. How about the moment that you walked across the stage, you shook the president's hand, and you received your diploma. A defining moment. Or maybe the moment that your boyfriend got down on his knee and said, will you marry me? Hmm. Or maybe this. You're standing at the altar, and you say, I do. Or maybe this one. You're, you're holding your first child in your arms for the very first time. Or maybe, maybe your first grandchild defining moment. Or maybe it's a time that you walked into your, your boss's office. And he says, you know that, that promotion that you've always dreamed of? You got it. Defining moments. Let me give you some more. How about the moment that your spouse looked at you in the eyes and said, I've fallen out of love with you. Or maybe the moment that you go into your boss's office and he says, we had to, we had to cut some people. We're not doing quite as well as we thought we were going to be doing, so today's your last day. Or how about the moment that you went to the doctor's office and the doctor says, I've got some really uncomfortable news I need to share with you. Or how about the moment that you lose a loved one? Or maybe the moment you realize that you've got to work several more years past your retirement age because your 401k just doesn't measure up defining moments. In the good times and the bad times, you grow. Now, it may take you several years later where you have to look back and see how God used that moment to help you grow, but you grow, and that's what God desires for all of us is to grow. He doesn't want us to coast. He doesn't want us to drift. He doesn't want us to be indifferent where we're not committed to one particular thing. He wants us to grow. And he uses these defining moments to draw you closer to himself. He wants to be first in your life. He wants us to grow. In 1986, a Nobel Peace Prize recipient, during his acceptance speech, he said this. He said, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. 
He said the opposite of success is not failure, it's indifference. The opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. Now, how does this indifference, this coasting, this drifting slip into our Christian life? You cruise along your faith, and then you, have, you feel this sense of, uh, of apathy, the sense of dullness towards God that you have never felt before. And you begin to coast, and you begin to drift. You become indifferent. Now your plate is full, and you're doing a lot, a lot of things, but guess what? You don't know your priorities anymore. You don't know how to keep first things first. That's what we want to look at this morning. Keeping first things first. Keeping Jesus Christ as your number one priority to avoid indifference in your life. Now there's something about these growth opportunities, defining moments that I, that I really feel led to tell you right out of the gate. Especially in those difficult defining moments. Jesus Christ loves you more than you can ever imagine. He loves you more than you can ever imagine. And he loves you just the way you are. He'll never love you any more than he does right now. He'll never love you any less than he does right now. You see, it's not based on performance. Now, some of you may be saying, well, I don't. I don't feel very lovable. Or if you knew the things I've done or or I'm doing, God would never love me. (laughs) Jesus Christ loves you with an indescribable love. But there's something else I need to tell you about God's love. He loves you so much that he doesn't want you to coast. He doesn't want you to drift. He wants you to grow. And he'll use these defining moments to help you grow so that you can keep first things first. Now think with me. What is first in your life? What's first? Be honest with yourself. What is first in your life right now? I'm not going to ask you to write it down. I'm not going to ask you to hand it in. I just want you to think what is first in your life right now. Well, this morning, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, and we get the first message of the seven messages that Jesus Christ talks about in Revelation. Now, Jesus is delivering the message through the apostle John. He's directing it to the church at Ephesus 2,000 years ago. But, but listen, the message to the people at Ephesus 2,000 years ago is just as applicable to us today. Now, Ephesus was the greatest city in all of Asia. In fact, it was known as the first and greatest metropolis of Asia. One writer called it a light of Asia. It was a magnificent city, a wealthy city, a a flourishing commercial city. Now, Ephesus was located on the intersection of four major highways. All roads led into Ephesus. People from all over the world made their home in Ephesus. Wealthy people, 
influential people. Ephesus was known for its sports, known for its arts, known for its drama. In fact, it had built a theater that could hold more than 25,000 people. That's larger than the colonial life arena. But, you knew there had to be a but. But, Ephesus was also a corrupt city. The largest attraction they had in the city was the temple to Diana, the goddess of love and fertility. It was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Now, there were over a thousand pagan priests and pagan priestesses at this temple. That's probably why Paul spent two and a half years planting this church in Ephesus to change the culture. And boy, did he ever. You can read about it in Acts chapter 19. Ephesus became one of the leading churches in Asia. But now more than 30 years have passed. Now Ephesus means desirable one. But unfortunately, this desirable church had forsaken its first love. It had become indifferent. It didn't keep first things first. So if you have God's word with you, please turn to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, but you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary yet. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Very clearly, Jesus is telling the church today, there's one thing that's got to be first in your life. One thing. And it's not you. It's about him. It's never been about you. I don't care what the world has said, what the world has taught you, what society says. It's not about you. It's about him. Then the whole passage is based upon this one question How do we keep first things first? How do we keep Jesus Christ as our number one priority? Allow me to share with you just four simple, basic truths. I want to challenge you in four areas. The first one is, you've got to listen to Jesus. You've got to listen to Jesus. You've got to develop an ear for Jesus. Let's look at verse 1 again. It says, these are the words of him. Who is him? Jesus Christ. Who holds the seven stars. Now the seven stars are the seven pastors or the seven angels of the churches. 
in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches. Jesus is speaking, not John, and we've got to listen to Jesus. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. It says, blessed is the one who reads. Circle reads. It's okay to write in your Bible. Circle reads. Reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear. Circle hear. But you hear it and take to heart. Circle take to heart. What is written in it because the time is near. Right out of the gate. If you want to be blessed. Read. Hear. Take to heart the words of Jesus. Let me share an Old Testament passage with you. In in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Hear. There's that word again, hear. Hear. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now, God is telling the people of Israel, if you want to be blessed... All you have to do is listen. Did they? Well, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 26. It says this. But they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their ancestors. We've got to listen to Jesus. That's it. We've got to listen to Jesus. Husbands, I'm going to pick on you. By nature, we practice selective hearing. I know probably all of us do, but husbands are the worst. They are. I'll pick on me. I work hard. I come home after a long day. I sit down in my favorite chair. And I'm going to veg out for just a few minutes. My poor wife will sit beside me. And she will start talking, wonder how my day is going. And all of a sudden, I will hear nothing. Total silence. And I'm like, uh-oh. She realizes I'm not listening. So I turned to her and she said, you're not listening, are you? And I said, I am listening. And then I can recite every word. Can you do this, guys? I can recite every word she told me. Can you do that, fellas? You know what I'm talking about? But I'm not really listening we've got to do a better job at that there's this guy he was at a a group of fellas they were at the uh, golf club they're in the locker room at the golf club phone rings guy picks it up puts it on speakerphone hello hey honey it's me hey honey are you at the golf club I sure am well I'm at the mall and I saw this gorgeous leather coat that I really, really want. Can I get it? Well, honey, I guess if you really, really want it, you can have it. Oh, well, thank you. Well, and on the way to the mall, I passed by a Lexus dealership. And I saw the Lexus of my dreams. It's $90,000. Can I get it? The guy said, well, does it come with all the bells and whistles? She said, oh, yeah, all of them. I'll go ahead and get it then. Well, honey, you know that that house that was taken off the market last week? They put it back on the market. Really? Yep, and they're asking, 
$980,000 for the house. What do you think about that? He says, well, let's do this. Offer them $900,000. I think they'll take it at $900,000, but they don't. If you really, really want it, go ahead and pay full price for it. Wow, honey. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. Goodbye. Goodbye. He hangs up the phone. All the men in the locker room are <laughs> astonished. And then he says, hey, does anybody know whose phone this is? Not great communication. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, at the Mount of Transfiguration, God looks down on Jesus. And you know this story. Jesus is revealed in all of his glory. And then God says this to Jesus. He says this, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then he gives a word to the disciples there. Do you remember what that word was? Listen to him. Listen to Jesus Christ. Now, how do we listen to Jesus Christ? How do we develop that habit? Let me just give you two quick things how you can develop the habit of listening to Jesus. Number one, Psalm 4610 says, Be still and know that I'm God. Great verse. Be still and know that I'm God. You've got to find a time, you've got to find a place where you can sit uninterrupted and read, pray, and listen to God. For me, I get up very early in the morning, I have my favorite chair, I sit down, my little dog Sadie sits right here, my little dog Millie sits on my lap, and I read, and I pray, and I meet God. And you know what? My day is a whole lot better when I have a great quiet time. The second thing you need to do is you need to listen. You need to listen to wise counselors and friends. Proverbs 15.22 says this. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Listen to Jesus. Really listen to Jesus. That's the first challenge. Second challenge is this. Don't hide behind a busy Christian life. Don't hide behind a busy Christian life. Now, this is going to step on a lot of toes. When I, when I was writing this and studying this, it stepped on my toes. So I hope it does yours. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 again. I know. Circle, I know. I know your deeds... Your hard work, circle hard work, and your perseverance, circle perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, circle cannot tolerate, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Circle tested. We're going to come back to these words. You have persevered, there's that word again, and you've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now, notice how those verses start off. It says, I know. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knows everything about this church. He knows all the good. He knows all the bad. He knows all the history that you want to forget. And he knows all the history that you're proud of. 
Jesus Christ knows. But the amazing part of this is Jesus Christ loves you in spite of all your sins, all your failures, and all your flaws. Now, notice Jesus looked at this church and he says, hey, this is a great church. In fact, he commends them in four different areas. The first way is this, you're a hardworking church. You're an active church. You're a busy church. Dr. M.R. DeHand said this, to come to Christ costs nothing. To follow Christ costs something. But to serve Christ costs everything. Now, this church was not a social club where people came in and out at their leisure. Man, they had a burning desire to change the world, and they were willing to work for it. Too many people today want to ride this, this gospel bandwagon. They want to be a part and enjoy the benefits of an active and alive church, but they don't want to pay the price to do that. Hardworking church. Next, he commends them for being a persevering church. Even though the world was against them, they did not quit. Now, think about this. When we're out there working and we faced hard times, we faced opposition, somebody says something to us, what do we want to do normally? We quit. The church at Ephesus refused to quit. Can I make a promise to you? Or not me, Jesus. If you persevere, if you don't quit, you will eventually become victorious. That's a promise of God. Many say the greatest speech that Winston Churchill said was only seven words long. Never give up. Never give up. Never. But then Jesus said they had convictions. They were a pure church. Look at verse 6. He says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which also hate. And then verse 2, it says this. You cannot tolerate wicked men. Now, there's some disagreement on who the Nicolaitans were. But we know this about them. We know they were either believers or so-called believers who compromised their faith to do whatever they wanted to do. And you fill in the blanks. But the church at Ephesus... They refused to compromise their faith. They refused to compromise their beliefs, regardless of what society said. Let me ask you this question. I want you to think about this question. Do you believe it is possible to get so accustomed to sin and wickedness that we don't even notice it anymore? Do you believe that? I honestly believe that's what's wrong with our society today. Finally, they were a theologically sound church. Jesus said, you've tested those who claim to be apostles. Do you remember the story? This is a great story. Go back and read it. It's in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 20. And, and, and Paul is saying farewell to this church at Ephesus. And he's saying, he's talking to the elders, to the pastors of the church. And he says this. In verse 29 and 31, through 31, it says, I know that after I leave, 
Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. The church at Ephesus did not accept false teaching. Everyone, everyone has the right to believe what they want to believe, right? Everyone here, everyone in the world, everyone in society has the right to believe what they want to believe. But as Christians, as believers, we don't have to accept it. We've got to be discerners of what is truth. And you know what our standard is? God's Word. Outwardly, everything looked great at the church at Ephesus. Outwardly, everything was going wonderful. What about you? Outwardly, does everything look wonderful? Sure. I come to church almost every single Sunday. I serve in my life group. I even give a little bit to the church. <laughs> oh, but in I'm a wreck. I'm an absolute wreck. Is that you? Has the good, has the good taken place of the best? Are you going through the motions where you're serving Christ but not really loving Christ? I found a couple of quotes this week that I thought you could relate to on the issue of busyness. Eric Hoffer said this, The feeling of being hurried is not usually the result of living a full and having no time. It is, on the contrary, born of the vague fear that we are wasting our life. When we do not, when we do, not do the one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else. We're the busiest people in the world. Chuck Swindoll says this. Busyness rapes relationships. It substitutes shallow frenzy for deeper friendships. It feeds the ego but starves the inner man. It fills a calendar but fractures a family. It cultivates a program that plows under priorities. Many a church boasts about its active program, something for every night of the week, for everybody. What a shame. With good intentions, the local church can create the very atmosphere it was designed to curb. So sad, but so true. The third challenge. Acknowledge that our first love is Jesus Christ. Acknowledge that our first love is Jesus Christ. We've got to start somewhere. We've got to say that Jesus Christ is my very, very first love. He's my priority. Look at verse 4 again. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken, you've drifted, you've become indifferent to the love that you had at first. Your external actions are fine. But your heart is not. And God cares more about your heart than anything else. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Above 
all else. Above everything, guard your heart. Because everything you do flows from it. The decisions that we make every single day either reinforce or erode our love for Jesus Christ. By replacing busyness with an intimate walk, a daily walk with Jesus Christ, we're taking the risk of forsaking our first love. I want you to think about a relationship you have right now. That relationship when you first met was based on limited knowledge. It was based on limited experience. In fact, it was probably a little awkward, right? Then you spent some time with this person and you just realized just how special this person was. My wife's not here, so I'll pick on her. When I met my wife, Tracy, my heart went pitter-patter. I realized I want to get to know her better. So what did I do? I called her and we started dating, right? Now, I would pick her up. She lived with her mother and father. I would pick her up. I would take her to Ryan's Steakhouse. We'd go to the Dollar Cinemas. I spared no expense on her. <laughs> then we would, we would come back home to her house and we'd sit on the couch and we would watch TV and just talk. True? We would just talk. And then I would leave and I would drive to my apartment. And as soon as I walked through the door, I would do this. 791-5817. Hello? It's me. Yeah. Hey, just FYI, I had to call her. Yeah, we didn't have texting. We actually had to talk back then. Okay, so... Hello? Yeah. Me too. Yeah, I had a good time. Yeah, I just walked my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We would talk for hours. We would. We'd talk for hours. All right. I love you. I love you too. Goodbye. Goodbye. You're still there, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. All right. On the count of three, let's hang up. Okay. One, two, three. Goodbye. Hello? Hello? <laughs> but we got to know each other. And we fell in love. And that's what Jesus Christ wants with us. To know each other. And to fall in love. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says this. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Now, how much does he consider loss? Everything. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. Here's a man that has written two-thirds of the New Testament, the greatest missionary of all time, and he says, everything that I've ever done, everything that I've ever done is garbage compared to my relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is his first love. Love. 
Is Jesus Christ your first love? The last challenge is take some steps to return to your first love, Jesus Christ. Now, what are those steps? Verse 5 says, consider how far you have fallen. The King James Version says, remember. Remember. So the first step is remember. Remember what? Remember the moment that you first prayed to receive Jesus Christ. Remember the moment that you were most passionate in love with Jesus Christ. Remember that. I love hanging out with brand new Christians, don't you? Man, they're full of joy. They're full of passion. They're full of excitement. Sometimes I get a little jealous. How long has it been for you? Three months? Six months? A year? Five years? Ten years? Fifty years? How long has it been for you? When you had that passion to serve Jesus Christ. What did you do? What did you say? You might say something like this. We used to spend a lot of time together. Oh, I just don't have the time anymore. You might say, I used to take you wherever I would go. Mm, But now I got friends. You may say, well, we used to take long walks together. We had extended times of praise and worship in your name. Oh, I'm just so busy now. Oh, but I was so proud of you. I used to share with you all my friends. Remember? Remember. That's the first step. The second step is repent. Repent from what caused you to sin in the first place. Eight times Jesus calls the seven churches to repent. In fact, the Greek word for repent is metanoia. Which, which refers to the heart, the changing of a heart. Now, too many times, too many times, listen, listen, too many times we focus on the action, on the sin. But Jesus says, if you focus on the heart, your actions will follow. If you don't have that love relationship with Christ, if you don't have that love connection with Christ, Sin may have gotten a deep root in your life. And Jesus says simply to repent. Now repentance is a whole lot more than saying, I feel sorry about what I've done. This week I met with a guy and I saw a picture of true repentance. He broke down in tears. And he was crying out to Jesus. And he says, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Change me. That's what repentance looks like. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And will purify us from all unrighteousness. 
Jesus says, remember. He says, repent. And the third step is return. Verse 5, do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. Some seminary students, they had a... uh, an assembly where they had a panel and they had a, 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 a number of Christian men and women that were in their 70s and 80s. And they asked them the question, how did you stay in love with Jesus for the long haul? The answer was simple. It was basic. They said, all we do is we always go back to the basics. There's no hidden truth. There's no hidden knowledge. There's no secret. It's go back to the basics. That's it. Return to the basics. Go back to what you did before. Can I share what the basics are with you? In fact, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sum up the entire Bible in four words. You may want to write this down. Love God. Love others. That's the basics. Love God. Love others. Because if you love God, if you really, really love God, you're worshiping God. You're reading God's word. You're praying. You're listening. And then love others. You're fellowshipping with others. You're serving others. You're sharing Jesus with others. That's the basics. Love God. Love others. Return to the basics. Let me finish with verse 7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give them the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in paradise of God. Eternal paradise awaits those who love Jesus. That's what we have to look forward to. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can look forward to heaven. But it's so much more than that. Because you can experience true hope, true peace, true joy right here on earth. All you have to do is place your trust, and your faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. So what are you going to do differently? What's the one thing you've heard this morning that you're going to do differently so that you treat Jesus Christ as your number one priority, keeping first things first? James says not only be hearers of God's word but doers so what's the one thing that you heard this morning that you're going to do you may say well I'm going to start listening to Jesus Christ really really listening to Jesus Christ or you might say that I'm going to quit hiding behind a busy Christian life Or you may say, I am going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is my very first love. Or you may say, I need to take steps to return back to my first love. Remember, repent, 
return. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Through him, we can experience eternal life. In fact, I love that last verse. It says, whoever has ears, let them hear. This implies there's three types of people in the world. People with ears, spiritual ears. They're people that are saved and they're people that aren't saved. And then it says, let them hear. So it's people that are saved, who are listening, who are growing, and people who are saved that aren't. And then people who are unsaved. Which one are you? Father God, if you are a growing Christian where Jesus Christ is, is the priority, Father, I pray that, that the people in here that feel that way, Father, will reach out to others and just mentor and love and share and be that example to everyone. But I have a feeling there's people in here that may be Christians, but their walk with you is not quite where it should be. They've let the busyness of a schedule dictate their love for you. Father God, I pray that we return, that we return to that love. Father, you're so faithful to us. And then there's probably a third group of people here that don't have spiritual ears. They don't know you as their Savior, their Lord. In fact, they may have been coming to church for years, may have grown up in church, but have never made that decision to pray to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know who you are. I would feel amiss if I didn't share. If you're in that group, all you have to do is this. There's nothing special about this prayer. All you have to do is just, just believe. Believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross rose from the dead, took the sins of the world. You have to admit that you're a sinner. And you have to ask forgiveness of those sins. But then you have to confess. You've got to confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord of your life. He's your Savior. You will put him first in everything that you do. And if you feel that way, all you have to do is say, Jesus Christ, come into my life. Save me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.